0: welcome to episode 18 of the Tech Right podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. If you like the podcast and want to help other people find it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more news and information about us, follow us on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right, or read our technical blog at medium.com slash table hyphen XI. Sorry about all the underscores and hyphens. We really weren't thinking about reading these things out loud when we came up with those URLs. To learn about past episodes, leave comments, and generally stay up to date on all things Tech Done Right, find us online at right.io. No hyphens in that, no underscores. Today on the show, we have Jeff Patton. Jeff's a consultant who combines product design and agile delivery practices. He's the author of the O'Reilly book, User Story Mapping. Jeff and I talked with TableXI's Jana Karstens about how to integrate UX design with an agile team and how to take a team from unconscious competence all the way to conscious competence. Jana, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi there. This is Jana Karstens, and I am a senior user experience designer here with TableXI. And our
0: third guest is Jeff Patton. Jeff, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: I'm Jeff Patton. I'm a consultant who works with product companies or companies that want to be product companies and want to evolve their process to be more product-centric. And uh, the only advice I have for you is never trust consultants.
0: (laughs) Okay. We're going to disregard that advice since actually all of us are consultants here.
2: (laughs) Oops. Edit that out. I like it,
0: actually. I'm very trustworthy with other people's time and effort. So, Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit about, why don't you start by describing the kinds of interventions that you do, or the, the, the kind of product development that you try to get companies started on. Like, What problems do people come to you with and, and what do you normally try to do for them?
2: I've been around in software development a long time. I, you know, I started building software in the 90s, and in my company in the 90s evolved to being a product manager, and then I got a very early start with this Agile development stuff uh, in 2000, 2001. Uh, the term Agile was coined in 2001, so I'm an Agile old-timer. So most of the companies I work with these days started doing Agile development, hoping that Agile development would solve all their problems. Agile development solves a lot of problems, but the problems Agile development does not tackle very well are Look, with Agile development, you can start building things finally. If you were jammed up and not getting anything built, Agile will help you there. But most of the organizations I work with are sort of post Agile. They've started building more predictably. And now they realize the problem isn't that we can't get stuff built. The problem is that we build dumb stuff. And that's where we start to layer on good user experience practice and good product thinking practice. And then the problems quickly evolve to how do we put that in our software process holistically? How do we not just do that stuff and throw it over the wall? How do we involve whole teams in doing that stuff?
1: Wow, that's music to my ears. So first of all, I'm I'm absolutely beyond myself geeked at this opportunity of getting to talk to you today. So thanks for joining us. <laughs> I have so much to ask you, you have no idea. I literally had to constrain myself. Uh, so I have a, a framework of questions ready. Otherwise, I feel like you'd be stuck here with me for hours.
2: Well, good. Because yeah, I was telling you I, before, I don't have much to say this morning. So I need your questions. Awesome. <laughs> well,
1: here they come. So Again, on, on the history of agile development. So, as you mentioned, like so starting almost a couple of decades ago, the agile methodology became a way that teams started to develop products, and it picked up pretty quickly as an effective way to develop features. Now, there were roles that were created, such as the product owner, QA analyst, Scrum master. There is different types of engineering roles. So, it seems that you know what you've mentioned. You know, products are, are are being developed in a dumb way, so to speak. But it seems like that HCI And design as a whole was left out of that inception phase. Like, do you think that that was an oversight or or what do you think happened there?
2: Two things I think are going on there. First, a lot of the people involved with creating Agile and a lot of the organizations, a lot of the companies they worked in when they were first describing Agile were building software for traditional IT use, uh, organizations building stuff for their own use. When you're building stuff for your own use, when the users are not the choosers and when the people who use the product have to do so as part of their job... User experience becomes less of an imperative. It's not that it's not important. It's just less critical. In contrast, building consumer facing applications, software that where you're building a product that users are choosers, if especially if it's a consumer application or an enterprise application, users and choosers are a little bit closer. And if you're building a software for sale and you've got competitors, quality of user experience matters an awful lot Mm. more. A lot of agile got its foundation there. And look, you know, if you look 10 years ago, if we walked into a bank or uh, an insurance company or something like that, there'd be no UX people. And if there were token UX people, they were only working on the consumer facing website and and there were only a very few of those. That's the world that Agile came out of. So it's not an oversight. It wasn't Agile's oversight. It was software development's oversight. And I think to some degree, when UX is undervalued, again, Agile didn't help things, but uh, Agile was building on uh, misconceptions, everybody's misunderstandings about what UX was and what product thinking Hmm. was. Um, it, It just wasn't there before.
1: So who ended up doing the role of the UX designer? I mean, a lot of seems to have been put on product owner. But in terms of describing the why and the for whom a feature is needs uh, a feature needs to be built, who did that for the software developers?
2: Uh, see, that's interesting. That's in, nobody does that. <laughs> um, it, everybody knows what to build. Uh, that's the problem. Look, if you have a, if you're building software and you don't have anybody that can write code, mm-hmm. you won't get any software built. But if you don't have anyone that can design user interface or knows how to talk to customers or knows how to correctly identify what problems we're solving, if you don't have any of those things, software will still get built. This is the problem that most things that are user experience related and most things that are even product related. And by product related, I mean, should we build it? Is it aligned with where our organization is going? Is this the right Thing we should be exploiting for our company, the right area to be focusing on building software. All those decisions can be armchair quarterbacked. They can be made with everyone's intuition. You know, in the absence of not knowing any better ways, intuition rules. And everybody, when you say user experience... Look, I'm not sure who the listeners of this podcast are, and they probably know a little bit better. But when you say user experience to the average person, they're thinking look and feel. They're thinking the way it looks uh, on the outside, and not all the decisions we made that, that led up to that.
0: I mean, I, I was not. I was a pretty early adopter of agile stuff, and the projects that I was in. So I've been I've been on projects that call themselves agile for about 15 years now, and a lot of that time has been spent trying to figure out how to integrate designers, how to integrate product knowledge, how to prioritize, how to do that kind of stuff, how that stuff all ties together. And I feel like every team that I've ever been on has tried to reinvent that wheel. How do you see that kind of product vision, that kind of design, UX design, how do you think it should be integrated into an agile development process?
2: Oh, you know, that's not an easy question. <laughs> There's not a simple answer to that. I'll, I'll riff on your reinventing the wheel thing. I'm not sure if we've ever actually invented the wheel yet or every wheel we come with up with is not very round. Yeah, a lot of flat tires. <laughs> yeah, a lot of flat tires. Nothing really rolls very well. There just aren't obvious solutions uh, to this. And so much of it depends on how organizations culturally see where they see these decisions made or how risky they see these decisions being. Yeah, you know, I think your original question is, where should it be included? The farther you get away from the act of writing code, the type of product we're making, the type type of organizational context we're in puts more weight on the context. Uh, Look, I solve process problems the same way that, Yana, the same way that you'd solve design problems. Uh, Asking what the right process is is asking like what the right design is. And you can't answer that question without talking about its customers, its users, and the purpose of the product. And the, the same goes for process. You can't answer the right process question without talking about its context, too. You know, that said, there's some common patterns we should talk about that make things go better. But I think we're far from finding a right answer just because the process we're describing lives in so many different contexts, and there's probably a lot of right answers. So maybe that's the first thing we're learning is there isn't a right answer.
1: So so do you believe that it's possible to create great products, meaningful products that people love to use without a design process in place? Yes,
2: that's the uh, scary part. What do you think <laughs> of that when I say that, Jana? Does that, is that a scary thing? Yes,
1: it is. I mean... If, if you said yes, it's possible. And even um, worse, it happens
2: an awful lot. I know. So,
1: so, what are some <laughs> things that teams take into account that leads them to create great products and experiences?
2: The thing is, I don't know if it's teams. The, the, when I work with organizations, I, I made a joke uh, all years ago that the product you're uh, building, or we talked about a product, is a Fubu product. Either of you guys are old enough to remember a clothing brand named Fubu? F U B U? I don't. It's not familiar to me. (laughs) (laughs) Only
1: Because Uh, I did not grow up in this country, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it. Oh, there's a. Gosh, I'm trying to remember what the the years were. And it's, you know, maybe as long ago as 20 years ago, there was a clothing brand called Fubu. Fubu was started by African Americans uh, who, uh, in New York, who noticed that most of the clothing brands they were wearing were designed and created by foreign companies and european designers and they said look we should be able to design our own stuff and they launched a clothing brand and the uh, brand was called fubu which is short for for us by Mm -hmm. us and there's a long history behind the clothing company the clothing company still exists and look it up online but a lot of the best products are fubu products they're for us by us products they're oftentimes conceived of, built, and initially designed by the person who has the itch and is scratching their own itch. Now, that works mm-hmm. to start with. Uh, when you're building, you don't have to be very user-centric. You don't understand, have to understand users and understand their problems when you are those users, and those are your problems. And uh, in that kind of context, the craftsman builds a tool that is fit for their purpose. And a lot of products spin out of that but the the challenge starts to come when you you know what a product is is something you put out on the in the market you sell it in a product's job isn't just to make people happy, it ultimately has to earn money and sustain the organization that made it. An organization tries to sustain itself, now it has to worry about uh, sales and marketing. Now it has to worry about, you know, most organizations have a goal to grow themselves, so they have to grow beyond the boundaries of the people that the product was originally built for. And now suddenly we've got people building products for people they don't understand. And furthermore, we've got to build more software, and now we've got to hire a lot of people that aren't that core founding team, people that don't understand the problem they're solving, that don't understand customers and users. And it's not a foo-boo thing anymore. That's when we start to add process in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan, I'm uh, tracking back to your original. Yeah, I think it's possible for teams to do that, but it's only when they have, when they accidentally do a lot of right things, when they accidentally have deep customer empathy and understanding. Mm-hmm. And they've got some people with, uh, whether it's explicit or accidental, have a, a little bit of a design sense and understand what, mm-hmm. it, what it feels like to use a, a good product.
0: And I like that phrase, accidental empathy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Accidental empathy. Yeah. Can we impose it on everybody, please? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That sounds like the, like the name of a consulting company somewhere. <laughs> I like it. Nah. Would you say that yeah. one of the goals of process then in that case is to, is to be able to replicate a successful outcome?
2: It is. It's it's one of one of the things. I think you guys. You're you're both. You work in a consulting organization. There's the two by two that some consultants will draw about being conscious or being deliberate about something and being competent at something. And if you if if you draw a two by two where the bottom side is, I'm uh, to the right is we're conscious, we're deliberate, we know. And then top to bottom, uh, the top we're good at it and the bottom is we suck at it. Now we get a bottom left-hand quadrant where we don't know we suck at it and we don't know we suck at it. Mm. The top left-hand side, we're good at it, but we don't know we're good at it. We're unconsciously competent. Mm -hmm. The bottom right-hand side, we suck at it and we know we suck at it. (laughs) And the top right-hand quadrant, uh, because we're always trying to get high and right on these types of drawings, is we are good at it and we know we are good at it. We know why we're good at it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we spend a lot of time as a I IC organizations that suck at product thinking and suck at UX. And what we're trying to move them, they're in the bottom left-hand quadrant. And we're trying to move them to the bottom right-hand quadrant. We're trying to help them understand you suck at it and know enough about it to know why they suck at it. And then we use process to put good things into it so that they can get better. But what ends up happening is there's a U-shape. If you look at this drawing, if you've been drawing along with me, a lot of organizations that are founded and are successful start by being unconsciously competent. Uh, They start in the upper left-hand quadrant, and then as they grow their products and they expand their market, they drop down into being unconscious and sucking at it. Uh, And then we move them to the lower right and then hope to uh, to move them to the upper right.
1: Wow. So, Jeff... All of my problems that I've experienced in the last eight, eight and a half years, you just like described in this little, box, so thank you for <laughs> <You're> that. <welcome. laughs> you put everything into perspective for me. Whoa, revelation. That's awesome. So do you have a name for this little diagram? No, do uh, Did you just make it up? <laughs> no, I did not. Did you just improvise?
2: <laughs> look, uh, it's one of these uh, things where I'm, I'm probably you know, it's, there is the four stages of competence. Uh, Gordon training international by its employees in 1970s. It's been frequently Abraham Maslow. Oh, it's been connected to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I don't know why that would be connected to that. Uh, anyway, it, look, uh, if you look at four stages of competence, that'll give you a little bit of history on that.
1: Wow! They okay. don't
2: draw it just the way I drew it uh, uh, for you. They they draw it as a pyramid uh, there, but they uh, they talk about these four boxes, and I, I draw it as a two by two.
1: Okay, so when it comes to um, so let's say there's a young team um, or a person, a UX professional who was hired um, into a company, whether it's a tech company or other kind of company that probably is is doing something well. So they're in that uh, bottom left co- quadrant where, you know, they're, they're fairly successful, but they are unaware of what goes into creating that successful product. What are some were, challenges? So that would
2: put them in my drawing in the. A- the top left, yeah, there, or or okay. kind of in the middle. Uh, there, the, the thing is, it, it starts to move them towards bottom left. They wouldn't have hired a UX person if they w- didn't recognize a little bit of incompetence in some way. And I have a feeling it's mm-hmm. hard to precisely put anybody, uh, put everybody yeah. in the same place. But but if they've been successful to some degree, then they've got some unconscious competence uh, there.
1: Yeah, what is some advice that you would give? That person who just started at that company, like what are some things that they should expect, some challenges that they would need to overcome to move up in terms of the competence level in order to move the company up in terms of the competence level?
2: So, uh, Yana, I think you just think you just asked me about a a newish UX person that's in a company that doesn't where the company doesn't necessarily understand the, the value of user experience. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's funny. Yep. We, we uh, there are some organizations that I work with where UX is well understood. It has a strong presence, and some organizations that you'll it's common to see a user experience person on every single team, or you know, a minimum you see a one UX person to two teams sort of ratio. So uh, those are organizations that, that in general understand what UX is for, and there's a lot for those UX people to do. But if you're a UX person working alone maybe the first don't do is to try and lecture people about what they don't know. If they are (laughs) unconsciously competent, they can, you know, I talk to founders of organizations that know they started their company without UX people and know that they've been very successful in the past um, uh, without having UX people. So when you, when a UX person comes in and tries to explain to them how they will suck if they don't have UX people, they have anecdotal evidence at least that that's not true. The the advice for UX people, yeah you know, it it's funny I uh, I tell them to <laughs> read a book that I own and have never read before that's uh, from Leah Buley. uh her book is The User Experience Team of One I've talked with Leah a bunch of times and I've known Leah and this is part of the reason I have it on the shelf and haven't necessarily read it because it needs to be one I should look at. But she said something once to me in passing over a beer that user experience isn't a product that designers produce. User experience is a process that designers facilitate. One of the challenges with user experience is it isn't 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 a thing. You can't throw it over a wall. It's uh, that every single person working on software does something that helps move it forward or sets it back. And strong user experience today should be, ideally, or at least the way I like to see it, is more team-centric. Uh, the way an individual user experience, the person can start to help, is to start to move people towards competence, help uh, that user experience person doesn't deliver good design, that user experience works more transparently, tries harder to get teams uh, involved with that, what they're doing, actually leans on the team uh, for feedback a little bit more, whether they really need it or not. But uh, a user experience person working alone in an organization that doesn't understand what they do has a job of educating people and nobody wants to be deliberately educated especially if they don't think they need to be so it's there's a little bit of clandestine education going on here
1: so on on the point of integrating with the develop the, the UX person to integrate with the development team and to create that form of a transparency and to make the whole process or the creation of a feature let's say more transparent and collaborative. You know, we've been experimenting with some methods here within TableXI to um, make our design and development practice more integrated. When it comes to assigning design cadences within a sprint cycle... Mm -hmm. Is that something that you would advocate for, like to increase that chance of collaboration and the transparency, like to actually set up some specific cadences for UX folks to do during an agile cycle, just like development does?
2: Uh, you said set up cadence, and I hear a little bit of process, I hear a little bit of structure in that, but there's a uh, there's an interesting thing where all process or all structure we put in is a little bit of a, a hoax once put it this way. There's an old friend of mine that used to say that, well, we can all come up with examples of companies, of people, of organizations that are really effective at what they do. But if you try and watch what they do, they don't seem to follow any prescribed structure. They seem to improvise a lot. Uh, An old friend of mine used to say that experts don't follow rules. The rules are there to turn beginners into experts. So it doesn't mean we Don't need structure. Doesn't we? Don't need process. We don't need rules. It's just we need those rules there in order to up people's competence and then uh, to let go of them. So when you ask me a a question that starts to feel a little bit like that, I'm thinking, okay, we need to be somewhat prescriptive in order for people to build skill. And it's not individual people we're talking about. It starts to be team competence we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then. I find that the very best teams sort of relax or let go a bit of formality there.
1: And the reason why I asked that question is on, on, you know, looking at the competence scale that, that you've chatted about earlier and moving a team or a company, you know, up that quadrant to become consciously competent and really good. Um, starting with, with somewhat of a framework, so to speak, like a cadence. Yes. Until the teams get into the groove and, and the team dynamic really builds where they can become more independent and they can in, in turn start to innovate on their own. So that's why, why I brought it up. Like my head is still in that quadrant where we're not working at a, Uh, the highest potential, highest level of competence and highest quality. So that's where cadences seem to help jumpstart that trajectory towards successful outcomes.
2: Yeah, the the general idea is that when an organization recognizes what UX people do, there's the general work ahead, follow behind sort of structure, where if we're talking about, there's another model I might want to uh, draw, but let me come back to it. When we're talking about the kind of research work that UX people might do to um, better understand the problem and validate whether we should or shouldn't be building something and uh, do high level design, uh, sometimes we see that as two sprint ahead work. Work. When we talk about tactical design or, yes, we agree we should be building it, and now let's design this thing and uh, maybe do a little bit of validation, that's usually a sprint ahead work. And the, the goal is that the, the team is ready, that they understand the design, and they can execute predictably. So uh, when a sprint comes or a, an iteration comes, when the, when an agile team starts building, it's nice to have user experience work through so that they're solving technical challenges, not user experience challenges. And then there's the, a bit of follow behind. Uh, the annoying thing about building software is, uh, we're, we're building little bits of a big thing. And when we start putting pieces of user experience, what gets built in a single iteration or a single sprint is some of the user experience, not all of the user experience. And as we start to pile more pieces together, there's a bit of follow behind of making sure the design still is still coherent, still makes sense. Uh, and there's a bit of follow behind in, in testing, so you generally see UX people uh, working ahead and following behind, and then during a sprint, supporting what's going on inside the sprint.
0: I've been on a, a couple of teams that have sort of independently stumbled into this model where the designers are a sprint or two ahead of the developers, and it always seems to me like it's very—it's a very fragile mode. It's very hard to keep everybody in sync. If you do keep the designers like way ahead of the developers, it starts to feel not agile because you're planning the work a sprint or two ahead and you start to feel like you have less flexibility like what are some of the practices that you see that can help teams make that process more robust
2: so let me backtrack just a little bit and talk about there's two sides of design here i'm sure that you guys have talked about uh, this before and you all have heard of things like lean user experience and lean startup kind of thinking
0: well, if def- you, you could do a, a quick definition for people.
2: The basic idea here is if you look at traditional user experience or traditional product design process, there was a, uh, a research process that gave us a lot of information that, that, that made sure that we really understood the problems we were solving. And we used uh, research to then evolve design. There might be a certain amount of testing of that design. And then we'd go into a building phase and build the stuff. That's more traditional user experience. But lean user experience uh, and lean product thinking in general starts with the idea that that big phase up front wasn't helping us, that very quickly we can describe our product concept or our product idea. And very quickly, without doing thorough research around the problem or uh, detailed design, we can very quickly identify risky assumptions, unanswered questions, things we, we should know. And then we very quickly go about validating those assumptions. Basically, it doesn't matter uh, if we're making an assumption that these these kinds of customers really exist and they really do have the problem we're solving. I don't need a detailed design in order to do a little bit of research to validate that there is a problem that exists there. And some of the earliest, when we start putting prototypes in front of people, some of the earliest design work we do isn't validating whether it's usable, whether people can Figure out how to use it. It's value testing. It's validating whether people find value in the solution, uh, find uh, see this as a sol- recognize that as a solution to their problem. A lean process isn't about producing great design. Well, embedded in design is the the assumption that we understand our the problems we're solving. We're solving the right problems, and that aesthetically it looks good, is easy to learn to use, pleasant to use, uh, things like that. So design has in my head has two sides there's the the validation part of it and that overlaps on the product side of things and then there's the craft of actually doing good visual design and interaction design uh, so some people see design as the craft part uh, meaning you can design something really beautiful really sexy really learn to u- easy to learn to use but that nobody wants <laughs> and then there's the validation side does that make sense
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now practices to integrate that with development in a way that feels robust.
2: If you borrow the Leah Buley sort of quote or that kind of thinking the design is a Process that designers facilitate, and if you know that it isn't the design work that's happening a sprint or two ahead, it's the work. Uh, the organizations that are doing this better make that work just as transparent. Uh, they expose very quickly, borrowing lean thinking, their hypotheses, their beliefs. That the, the it, it, uh, I think both of you might have seen a, a hypothesis statement that might come out of a lean process, and it's not expressed as a like a user story format. It is as a user, I want this so that hypothesis statement is uh, we believe if we build this for these kinds of people that have this problem, we'll see them do this and we'll measure success this way. Uh, uh, so we expose hypotheses very early on and we expose risks very early on. And then we uh, say, what's the least we could do to validate these things? And validation moves start to be talking with customers and users start to be producing very early simple prototypes things like that the the teams that i see working really well expose those things and then start to say okay well how do we get whole teams involved with doing those things it's common for teams to sit in on customer interviews it's common for uh, boy one of the organizations i work with that i like a lot is a company called carmax you guys have probably heard of that company uh, before yeah. Mm -hmm. And I might be able to, I can direct you to, uh, there's a couple articles that uh, people at CarMax have got out there in the outside world. I can get you some URLs after the fact to those. But one of the things they do is they do interviews, but the interviews they do remotely using, they use Zoom right now, but you could use WebEx or GoToMeeting or other things like that. And engineers and others sit in the room. And CarMax has a simple process uh, so that they expect, if you're sitting in the room, they expect you to take notes. And if you're taking notes, they expect you to synthesize those notes with everybody else's, whether you're a UX person or not. Uh, so we expect developers to sit in and take notes. We expect uh, UX people. We expect uh, product managers, uh, other stakeholders or testers or others that are, are involved to do that. So if you expose that part of the process, there are other things. Uh, I suspect you guys have heard of a practice called the design studio practice or you know a collaborative design sketching approach. Uh, that's something we do, You know, once we understand problems, that's something we do to arrive at solutions co- collaboratively. So we expect teams to participate in those.
1: So Jeff, so here at TableXI, we've been experimenting with some methods to like integrate design into development. And along with creating some services that allows us, the, the design, designers, to do some research and to get an understanding of what the problems are ahead of time, like who our users are, what the goals are that, are, that ultimately will guide what we should be creating for them, you know, those are pretty lean, about one half a week to a week timeframes we call inceptions and product strategy workshops. Now, is there a project, like a new project approach or a method that you believe is critical for anyone to embrace if they want to be successful integrating design into uh, agile development?
2: If you're starting something new, having some sort of structured approach and some sort of guidance through that is, is super important, especially if uh, organizationally you're trying to up your game or trying to understand why this is important. Uh, it, it's having a leader or having a guide uh, get you through that. Uh, this is where you guys had something on design sprints before. A design sprint includes something like a design sketching or a design studio process. Uh, but it, it's uh, there's a lot more structure in a in a design sprint, and that's one approach. But there are a lot of approaches to having a structured sort of inception, and that's super valuable. Not sure if I directly answer your question, but let me give you a warning here. One of the interesting things, you said the word project and that's a weird word. I work with a lot of product managers for existing companies and mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time reminding them that it's not about projects. It's, you know, the product's life starts when the project is over. Products are a continuous thing. And you know we often use these sort of structured inceptions at the beginning of something big or when we've got a new problem to solve or a big problem to solve. But the same kinds of thinking that goes into one of those inceptions, when I work with a product company, they're doing that stuff continuously a little bit at Mm -hmm. a time because look, every new feature, every new capability, every correction for the product needs to go through that same kind of thinking. It's just, it starts to be measured in hours, not days that we go through things Mm -hmm. like that. Structuring a, a strong inception is very... Valuable to organizations trying to expose their teams and their organizations uh, to working this way, and a good structured inception will help them learn, become a little bit more consciously incompetent, <laughs> and, and move and move up and start to uh, move towards competent. But they have to know what they don't
1: know. Sure. So I have a question uh, for you on team development now. Again, imagining ourselves in the shoes of a uh, newly found practice, whether it is a client who comes to us to Table Excite, who are consultants, and we will help them uh, set up an agile design and development practice, or it's a company who's looking to hire. So we're thinking of a company that's not highly. Apt at doing user experience in the most effective way. So when it comes to team development and upscaling a UX team, can you, can you talk to me about the benefits of hiring experienced professionals and also about the benefits of even upskilling people from within the company that come from other disciplines?
2: Why hire an experienced person and why upskill the people you've got? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, hidden in your question is one of the challenges that I run into an awful lot. Uh, there are lots of people or lots of organizations that are trying to get better at this stuff. There's a lot of buzz around uh, things like design sprints, things, uh, uh, like, uh, the, the lean UX and lean startup kinds of things. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people trying to learn how to do this stuff from books. Uh, I suppose it can work, but it's, super challenging. It, I see people really struggling trying to learn how to do something that they've never seen done before. If I uh, go all the way back to agile development, I was lucky enough to get a start on a very pure agile team. And I know what it looks like and feels like and what it doesn't look like and feel like. And that I've got this uh, mental model that helps me both teach and coach people towards uh, that ideal. I'm sure that you can get there, but boy, having an experienced guide It helps you go a lot faster. Now, when it comes to this stuff, uh, when we talk about, you know, what contemporary design and product thinking looks like, most organizations don't have people uh, that are already competent. And they, one of the other things I see them trying to do is to hire competent people. And there's just not that many out there. Mm-hmm. So the best organizations work hard to, to to cultivate, to grow those people internally, to see it as an internal competence. And, you know, some of the best way to do that is to get them with experienced people, uh, to get them some mentoring.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine that it's tricky if you're an organization that doesn't have anything like this to even recognize competence versus mediocrity as you make your initial hires in this area.
2: Yeah, it's a, it, exactly. If it hasn't been a competency in your organization, you tend to assess that competency the way you assess other competencies. And yeah, organizations are... It's going to take another decade or two before we all start to understand what this, what the thing is that we're talking about. And you see, you know, there's been a a rash of large organizations uh, buying design agencies in order to uh, acquire that competency. Uh, You know, it started with, uh, was it Capital One that bought Adaptive Path?
1: Oh, yep. And then Facebook bought hen and Lex.
2: Yeah. So, hey, Mm -hmm. there's a way to uh, to pull in that competency. And then when you buy that organization, the trick is, you know, the the problem they're left with is how do we integrate this competency in? How do those people enable the rest of our organization? Not how do we just have a cheaper in-house design firm (laughs) so we don't have to pay them so much money? I'm pretty sure that wasn't the reason for the acquisition.
1: And I'm curious, so you have started in UX, and, and you have been part of this whole agile movement, and you have been in it from the beginning. What is most different about now, in 2017, in regards to UX practice as a whole versus how it was in the
2: 1990s? We talk about the 1990s and into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. It's funny, this, uh, this discussion wasn't supposed to be about that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, conscious incompetence thing, but it uh, starts to kind of frame a lot of what we're talking about in the 1990s uh, and and into the 2000s. If we look at UX practice, UX practice was constrained or framed, or UX people saw themselves and their process as a step in a bigger process. As this is where we do the UX, and now we hand mm. off to people to build it. And uh, UX process in the 1990s and into the 2000s was sort of optimized around doing that step well and doing it effectively. But the result of that step was a design to hand off to somebody who would build it. Now, I'm sure that there are people that are listening that might have been working during that time and they might say, hey, we didn't do things that way, but look, uh, it's easy to go to books and go to what was taught in universities and they looked at design as a phase. Contemporary design today is integrated. It's knitted in and design structure. I, can, I know that you know when I was talking at UX conferences or HCI conferences and things like that in the early 2000s, I got a lot of people pushing back saying, you're dumbing down our practice. You're, you're, but now the types of things we I was talking about, and we were talking about in early 2000s is now seen as best lean practice um, mm-hmm. I would say you
0: know having been a developer for most of that time too, I would say like one of the hallmarks of the agile processes in general is they take things that are hard that you were originally doing infrequently and make them something that you do continuously in smaller steps and I see what you're saying is as being the the application of that concept to design. You know, we started with design being something big that we do in in discrete steps, and we are moving towards an area where UX design is something that we do continuously in
2: smaller pieces. That's right. And part of the constraint, uh, you know, uh, for UX people was... Uh, there weren't enough of them and they couldn't do it continuously. Uh, they weren't, um, it, the, what UX was, wasn't well understood inside their organization. So there weren't enough of them. They couldn't do it continuously because their organization saw the work that designers did as the stuff that we did to get detailed requirements so that development could move on. And organizations, as a result of Agile process, doesn't doesn't they don't work that way anymore. Now, what's happened also? If I look in the early two thousands, we talked about this earlier in this conversation that agile thinking, agile people didn't understand what user experience was or good product thinking was. But now it's look, it's two thousand seventeen now, and we're recording this. The the cool thing now is uh, even the agile community has moved to a state of conscious incompetence. Here, Uh, I was exchanging messages back and forth with a a friend of mine uh, this this morning, a lady named Melissa Perry who talks a lot about product thinking. And there's an Agile conference going on this week as we're recording this. And she's, uh, my friend Melissa, runs the product track. There's a product track. There's a UX track uh, in the, the big US Agile conference. And look, uh, 10 years ago, there these weren't subjects that were even talked about. And now there are whole tracks and lots of speakers and lots of lots of people talking about this. So lots of people are talking about the things we're talking about right now. How do we incorporate this into an agile process? And there's still not consensus about the best way.
1: But it's uh, moving, moving upstream on that competence scale for sure.
0: Jeff, can you tell people where they can find you online if they want to learn more about the kinds of things that you've been talking about?
2: Oh yeah, the, it's funny. I'm I'm terrible. I spend a lot of my life just working and doing. You can find me online at jpattonassociates.com. Man, there are no short URLs left. Just Google Jeff Patton. You'll find my website. There are some online articles there. You learn a little bit about what I do. But I'm all surprised to find uh, videos of myself and talk past talks I've given all over the place. So I'm easy to find online and easy to contact through my website there and follow me on Twitter. That's uh, I'll put things out there. And I'm on Twitter. I'm Jeff Patton.
1: Jeff, uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and I hope our audience will enjoy this episode just as much as I had uh, recording it.
2: It's an honor to be here. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you.